Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Hey, church, we're super excited to have you guys here with us. And can everyone here at Lakeland give it up for everyone who's watching at Highland Colony? Oh, we love you guys. Man, we had a great time at the 830 service, and I know you guys are having a great time at the 10 o'clock. You really are. Just some uh, some special, special people. And can all of us uh, at both of our physical locations give it up for everyone at our third campus, our online campus? Can we give it up for everyone watching around the world? Oh, we're thankful that you took the time to tune in, and we can't wait to open up God's Word with you. And we want to celebrate. You know, we paid off our Highland Colony uh, facility uh, about a month ago, and so, you know, that saves us about $20,000 a month. Uh, so for several months, we're giving away $20,000 on top of our regular tithes and offerings to other nonprofits and ministries. And this week, we gave $20,000 to our missionaries in China for them to expand the gospel of the kingdom there uh, and helping them get different visas, which will enable them to keep doing uh, mission work in China. Uh, so we saw that happen. And it's just a, a real big, neat thing. And that's because of your faithful generosity. You know, it really does uh, just blow us away, uh, all the people who have stayed connected. And I know, especially for all of you who are watching on the online campus, uh, that sometimes it can feel uh, disconnected from seeing community that's here and during this uh, season and this time of you not being able to be with us here physically. But we're just so thankful for your connection with this house. And um, it's amazing, um, you know, through COVID, uh, while things look different physically, we have seen God take this ministry and grow it uh, and connect with people all over the state and all over the world through our online campus that honestly I never could have seen coming. And that has affected us for the good, dramatically, financially. Uh, that has enabled us to reach more people and send more money to missions. Uh, and so we're thankful uh, for all that God's doing. And, and hopefully, you know, someday soon with everything changing in our world, if you are watching online, you can get to one of our campuses uh, physically because uh, nothing, I think, can replace that. But uh, we're just thankful so much uh, for everyone's support. And so that's super neat. Uh, and then as well, Wednesday night at our Highland Colony location, uh, we're going to have Revival Night. Um, and uh, it'll be at 7 Seven o'clock. Uh, there is childcare provided, uh, but I said at the eight thirty service today. I, I feel like revival night is church without breaks. <laughs> uh, so like breaks on a car. Of uh, it's just going after it, and so um, it is long. I don't think we've ever had one that was under two hours. Uh, and somebody says, well, should you tell that to people before they get there? Yes, because I only want people to be there who really want to be there. It is a, a time where we're making a decision to press into God. Uh, it's not about attendance. Uh, it's just about that. It's about a press and getting people in a room who want to press and want to go deeper and come ready uh, to worship and press in. Uh, and so if, if you're interested in that, that will be at our Highland Colony location. Uh, obviously, for all of you at Highland Colony, you know exactly where that is. Um, but for those of you who are attending our Lakeland campus, it's right by the Costco. Uh, so uh, you can go over there and uh, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. 
Revival Night. Uh, if you brought your Bibles and uh, everyone who's at our physical locations, um, you can open up to the, the book of 1 Peter. Uh, but I also want to encourage everyone who's watching on our digital campus uh, to take the time to get your Bible and open up to 1 Peter with us. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. For Christmas, uh, somebody gave me the Bible in journal form. And so uh, it came like in a locked-in edition. I think we have some at our church merch uh, uh, locations. Uh, but it's one of my favorite gifts. Uh, and in it, you can pull out each book of the Bible, and in it, on one uh, side of the page, it has uh, the Scripture. And on the other side of the page, it has empty blanks where you can write in your thoughts and journal. Well, I made a decision. I thought the gift was so great. And I'm like, that's going to be one of the things I do in, in this year is before the end of the year, I will journal the whole New Testament. Uh, and not just read it, but re, uh, write my thoughts on it and what the Holy Spirit is uh, speaking to me through it. Because how many of you know when we read the Word of God, it should read us? And the Holy Spirit should be speaking to us. Uh, so I'm like, this would be a wonderful thing to do. And so I started doing that and enjoyed it immensely. But I thought, honestly, it would be one of those things that I would knock out very quickly. Um, but I have journaled so much that I'm averaging like a chapter a day. Uh, so out of that, uh, we'll see. I think I can finish it by the end of the year. Uh, but um, I said all that to say, this week I was in First Peter. And in 1 Peter, I came across this passage of Scripture, and I just knew it was what I was supposed to share with all of you guys today, and let's just unfold it, unpack it, and dive into it. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, wherefore, let them that suffer, <laughs> let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Let's read that again. It says, wherefore, let anyone that suffers according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. He said, for anyone who's suffering in the will of God. Let's start there. Uh, how many of you know you can definitely suffer out of the will of God? <laughs> in fact, that's why God uh, orchestrates a will for your life and mine, is to limit the suffering. Uh, but sometimes we knowingly violate what we know we should be doing, and we get out of God's will. Um, we knew we shouldn't have bought it, but we bought it, and now we're making 385 easy monthly payments, uh, and we're finding it's not as easy as they claimed, and the interest is climbing, and we're suffering financially because we violated a conscience, and, and we knew not to do it, but we did it anyway, and sometimes in relationships, it's like, we knew not to say it. Have you ever been there in marriage? Like, you knew not to say it. Uh, like, you know, you know not to say it, but you say said it anyway, and now you are suffering. <laughs> so there are many times where we get outside of the will of God, and when we get outside of the will of God, we begin to suffer. 
this morning, I was going over this because when I write a message, honestly, I write it for me. I don't write it for you. I write it for me uh, because a chef should eat their own cooking, amen, uh, and enjoy it. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit, like, what should I see out of this? Like, the first thing that I notice is I can suffer in the will of God, but I also notice I can suffer out of the will of God, and that's why you have a will is to limit the suffering. And the Holy Spirit spoke something to me this morning, and I wrote it down. He, he spoke to me and just dealt with my heart about this, and he said, prayer will never fix what disobedience is causing. <laughs> prayer, faith, fight will never fix what disobedience is causing. The only thing that will fix what disobedience is causing is repentance, changing and going in the right direction. Uh, do you remember the story of Jonah? Uh, Jonah, it's, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, it's packed with so much revelation in it. Uh, Jonah hears from God. The issue is, though, is that when Jonah hears from God, God tells him something he does not want to do. Uh, have you ever been there before? Forgive. <laughs> Bless those who curse you. Tithe. How about that one? Like any of those types of things. Like God deals with our hearts, and it's like, I don't think I want to do that. And God deals with Jonah's heart, and he speaks to him clearly. And he tells them, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to Nineveh, and at Nineveh, I want you to preach the word of the Lord unto to, to those people there. They have uh, walked away from me. They have violated all types of things, and judgment is coming. And if they don't get in the will of God, they are going to suffer, in other words. So it's like, Jonah, we need you to go course correct them. Well, the issue is, is Jonah hated those people. He hated them. And a lot of people, when I hear them teach about Jonah, it's like he was afraid. He wasn't afraid. He did not want to go. At the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah's like, I knew this would happen. Because he went and he preached in Nineveh. Nineveh repented. The goodness of God was poured out on Nineveh instead of the wrath of God. Because how many of you know God is good and his mercy, it endures forever. Uh, and so out of this, the goodness of, and Jonah's watching this play out. He's like, I knew this would happen. Like, I knew this would happen. These people have been so ugly to us, and I didn't want them to repent, which is why I did not want them to preach. How many of you think God was sending Jonah to Nineveh, not just to fix something in Nineveh, but to fix something in Jonah? And out of this, God is trying to move Jonah into a heart of forgiveness, move him over into a heart of reconciliation, uh, dealing with Jonah's heart to come and fix something in himself and in Nineveh. And Jonah makes a decision. He makes a decision to do the complete opposite <laughs> of what God has asked him to do. And it's so funny because when you look on a map of like where Nineveh is and the boat that Jonah was getting on to go to Tarsh, uh, it is literally in the complete opposite direction. Uh, it is like Nineveh's this way, Tarsh is this way, I think I'll go this way. I mean, he is going the complete opposite direction than the way God wants him to go. You know the story, they get on the boat, they start going in that direction, and a storm breaks out so bad that everybody on the boat, all the professionals, all the sailors, 
they know they are about to die. Uh, They are casting over so much, like casting over anything that is valuable to try to save the ship because the ship is being so filled with water, they think they're going under. And they come and they realize, like, this is so bad, (laughs) and we have never seen anything like this before, um, that somebody must be out of the will of God. (laughs) And, like, the carnal people are like, this is so awful. (laughs) Like, somebody needs to repent. And so they cast, like, lots to find out who it is, and the lot falls on Jonah. Uh, And Jonah admits uh, he's in disobedience. This is interesting. A number of years ago, I heard, uh, I think it's awesome, as well as interesting, a minister who went to heaven. I've never been to heaven, uh, and I don't know this individual personally, but I heard him tell his story. And I know it's possible, because Paul said, I knew a man who was caught up to the third heavens where he heard unspeakable things, so there's scripture for it. But anyway, he said he went to heaven. And in heaven, he said he saw a lot, but one of the things he saw was Jonah. And he comes up to Jonah, and he's like, Jonah. He's like, it's so good to see you. He's like, I need to know what you were in. What were you in, Jonah? Uh, Like, because we say well, but then, you know, people come and say, like, a well's throat is not, like, big enough to swallow a human. And uh, so, like, was it a a big fish? Were you, like, in a well? Was there a different type of fish that was in your time period that maybe we don't have now? What were you in, Jonah? And he said, Jonah looked at him and said, you want to know what I was in? He said, I was in disobedience. (laughs) Oh, I love it on so many different levels. And the reason why is, do you see how carnal we think? We're wanting the natural and God all the while through the story of Noah is trying to, or Jonah is trying to show us a spiritual point. That what Jonah was in in that entire uh, moment was disobedience. And did you know in that story, you know what everybody was doing at the start of it? Every one of them were praying. Like, (laughs) please, God, turn this around. Like, coming to God. And they kept throwing off everything that was valuable but the disobedience. I was preaching at the 830 service at Highland Colony. This was not in my notes. But it just came up out of me. And I'm, I'm making a decision to write this down. But here's what came up out of my heart. How long... How long will you allow yourself to lose everything but the disobedience? (laughs) How long will you allow your life to lose everything that is valuable but hold on to the thing God's asking you to let go of? Do you remember in the promised land, the very first city was Jericho. And do you remember what God said? He said, Jericho is mine. He said, everything in Jericho, it belongs to me. Offer it. Offer it unto me. Uh, And so they, they shout. Walls come tumbling down. Amazing story. Like, literally, amazing. They go in. They get all the possessions. Uh, They're all offering it unto the Lord as a sacrifice, giving God the first and the best of their promised land, type and shadow of so much. 
I'm, you know, it's redeeming Adam's mistake from having this tree that he's partaking of. It's like we know this is the first and the best, and it could help us a lot, but we're not going to touch it. It belongs to God. But then one family makes a decision uh, to hold on to what they should be letting go of. Oh, come on, somebody. This was not in my notes either. I didn't even talk about this at the 830 service. One family made a decision to hold on to what they should be letting go of. And no one knew about it. And so Joshua and the, the uh, commanders, they make a decision to make progress. Like we're going to make prom- progress in the promised land. We're going to keep going in the direction that God wants us to go. And so they set out and they lose. And not only do they lose, they lose bad. And Joshua's offended with the Lord. And he comes to the Lord like and rips his clothes. And he's like, God, what in the world is going on here? Like you called us to take this land. You asked us to go after this. This was your idea. And he's making an accusation against God. And God comes down and stops him and basically says what I said is that prayer is not going to fix what disobedience is causing. He's like, I told you explicitly to make sure that no one took of anything of Jericho, but you have kept it among your house and among your people. And Joshua had to go back and get that out of the nation first before the nation can make progress. And I wonder how long the world will hold on to disobedience while it loses Because out of these things, it matters to God. The whole reason, like in the New Testament, God puts it this way. He said, I resist the proud. And I know I say this a lot, but it bears repeating because it's not what we know, it's what we do. God says twice in the New Testament, once in 1 Peter and other times in James, I'm a God who resists the proud. And I ask this question every time I quote that verse, every time. How much progress do you think you are going to be able to make with God resisting you? None. Uh, and so in the story of Jericho, they finally, Jonah's like, throw me over, boys. It's me. And they're like, they're good people. They're like, ah, no, we can't do it. Uh, and so they row hard, Scripture says, row hard to try to get going in the right direction and make no progress. Why? God resists the proud. What, it, what is pride? Pride is not just a haughty look. Pride is a lack of submission. It's, it's a lack of coming underneath what, what God may be asking you to do. It's a, it's, it's a spirit that's not teachable, that's not willing to lay down its opinion to pick up the opinion of God. Well, I shouldn't even say the opinion of God, the wisdom of God. And so out of, out of these things, Jonah finally makes a decision uh, to let go of the disobedience so that he didn't have to keep letting go of everything else. Joshua made a decision to let go of the disobedience so that they didn't have to let go of everything else. And when they did, Joshua immediately saw progress made in the promised land. There was resistance there, giants there, they had to overcome, but they overcame it because they had a push behind them. See, faith uh, will, will, will come and like uh, pull some things forward. Uh, but God can push it forward with grace. 
And the Bible says that God gives more grace. I can have more grace on me right now than I did a week ago. This ministry can have more grace on it. You can have more grace on it. God can breathe on something, take it all over the world. God can give you more grace. Well, who does he give more grace to? The humble. What's humble? It's living on bended knee. It's like when the Lord speaks, I bend my knee to it. And in fact, like Jesus said, I've got one, one whole goal here on the earth is discovering the will of my Father and doing it, period. What did God say? Do it. It's like well, the first miracle Jesus ever wrought in, in like changing the water into wine. Uh, it's the first miracle he ever did. It's the law of precedence. So the law of precedence in Genesis, if you want to know how Satan's going to take you out, thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, that's how he took Adam and Eve out. It sets precedence. Uh, so out of this, how is God going to work a miracle in your life? Go back to the first miracle he did. It's the law of precedence, just like in our nation. There are laws that you know now are laws because a judge set course and it, it set precedence uh, for the first time, and now law is based off of that precedence. What was the first miracle? Whatever he tells you to do, what do you do with that? Do it! Whatever, oh, come on, Holly and Colleen, let me hear you. Come on. Whatever God, what's the key to the miracles? Whatever God tells you to do, what do we do? Do it. We got to do it. You can't stand in front of empty pots and pray for wine. You better go take them and fill them up with water. And so out of this, like, I understand that, especially in today's modern church world, so many of these things are not discussed. But I also wonder also how many people are experiencing results. How do you know what wisdom is? By what it produces. Um, and out of this, Jesus said wisdom is known by its children, by, by its offspring, uh, and so out of this, what are we producing? And when we see like, and talk about God resisting us, it's like God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That sounds very negative. But in God's mind, well, and like, we'll just use you guys uh, who are parents, and even if you're not a parent, I think you can understand this analogy because I think you would do this for a stranger, much less your child. But if you saw a busy street, uh, and cars going all down that street at high rates of speed. And let's just use that example as a stranger. Like you don't even know the kid. You have no affection towards the child. Uh, there's no relationship towards the child. You've never given it a gift on its birthday. But you just see a child walking directly into traffic. What do you do? What would you do? Would you resist them? Would you like grab hold of their shirt and pull them back so they couldn't make progress? Would you get out in front of them to try to stop them? And would you be doing that because you didn't love them? Or would you be doing that because you do? And you don't want to see hurt, and you don't want to see pain, and you don't want to see suffering enter into their lives or the lives of the people who love them and so you willingly and lovingly resist because you know if you don't, there are greater consequences than the resistance. And oftentimes, I, I wonder, we're looking at things 
and wondering why we haven't seen progress with it. Why do we keep circling the same mountain over and over again? And I'm hearing a lot of people like, here we go again. And I wonder if we can look past the natural and see what we're in. That it's more than COVID-19. 19, as in 2019. And we keep going around the same mountain, and I'm talking about nationally, uh, and as a world, and as a planet. Uh, But what about as a person, as an individual? Like the children of Israel for 40 years circled around the same mountain, and they had a measure of the goodness of God in their life, but no grace to get in a promised land. And it was because of disobedience. They're hitting rocks when they should be speaking to it. Uh, God's telling them, go collect bread, but on the day of the Sabbath, don't collect bread uh, because on the second day or the day before the Sabbath, I'll pour out more. So on that day, gather more because on the Sabbath, I want you to cease from labor. And the day before the Sabbath, they're like, ah, we'll be fine. It'll come tomorrow. And they don't do what God says. You read it. They continually, you know what Jesus said, uh, or, or the, the, the gospel tells us in the book of Hebrews, they continually tested God. And they circled the same mountain. And none of this is my message. Literally, none of this. My whole point is what to do when you suffer in the will of God. Like that's the nature of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. But you know what I've found? Uh, when the iron's hot, just, just mold it. Uh, and so out of that, let's just, let's just stay here for a minute more and just finish out molding this part. How long will I hold on to the disobedience while letting go of everything else? And what if you and I took the time to humble ourselves? There's a king in the Old Testament, an evil man. In fact, the Bible literally states, there were none more evil. Now, when the Bible says that about you, you know you were a bad guy. And he was married to a woman who was just as bad as he was in Jezebel. And right next to the, the castle was a man's house that he would look down and be envious of. Now, he's in a palace, but he likes this guy's land. And so he comes to this guy, and he's like, I want your land, and I'll buy it from you. And the guy's like, it's family land. I don't want to give it up. It's like it's, it's worth more than anything you could buy it for. And so he says no, and he keeps saying no. And um, he, the king, throws a pity party, and he's feeling ba- sorry for himself. Isn't that funny? Got a palace, feeling sorry for yourself. Uh, and here he's feeling sorry for himself, and his wicked wife, Jezebel, comes in, and she's like, what is the king doing? Feeling sorry for himself. And he tells her the story. And so they arrange it where they kill the man and take his property. That's a true story. God has enough of it. He raises up a prophet to go and tell him, uh, the seed that you've sown is about to reap a harvest. And you know what this king does? The Bible says he humbled himself. He killed a man. 
Before you judge him, David did too. So did Paul. Do you know God can use you? So do you know God can use you? God can fix you. He can make you a man, even if you've never seen one. He can make you a good husband, even if you've never been one. What's he need? Submission. It's enough. I'll let go of this before it costs me everything else. And this king humbles himself. And God spoke to the prophet. He said, did you see, you see how this king humbles himself? He said, go back to him and tell him that destruction will not come to his house. He let go of disobedience before he had, he had to let go of everything else. They let go of Jericho before they had to let go of everything else. Jonah let go of the disobedience before they had to keep throwing over valuable things. What are you holding on to that you should be letting go of? Now, out of this, it's, it's funny how, I don't know if it's as quiet at Highland Colony as it is here in Lakeland, uh, or quiet in your living room as it is here in this room. But here's something you need to know, um, is that when I talk about things like this, religion will always approach it from a place of shame, of like, shame on you. Shame on you. You should feel sorry for yourself and feel bad for holding on that disobedience as long as you did. And acting like, you know, you're too good for God, too good for church, and hardening your heart, and like all of these types of things. But that's not the heart of Jesus. You remember Jesus, woman caught in the middle of adultery, meaning she was probably naked, throwed down at his feet. Everyone there waiting to, to accuse her and throw stones at her. And Jesus turns the whole situation around, and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none, Lord. He said, neither do I accuse you. Neither do I accuse you. God, your father right now, he does not accuse you today. I don't care what kind of sin you're in. I don't care how bad it is, how deep it is, how rough it is, how many times you've done it, how ugly it is, how shameful it is, so shameful you don't even want to bring it into the light and let anybody know about it. I don't care what it is. Your father in heaven does not accuse you. He does not accuse you. And the reason why he doesn't accuse you is it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. And when you know, you know why we don't tell people our issues? Because we don't trust in their goodness. We think when they hear about it, they'll reject us. And so we'll pay people who we have no relationship with, and we probably, you know, I see why it works. We have no relationship with to tell them what's really going on. Because I'm paying you not to reject me which is good. But what if, what if we as a Christian church could so mimic our Savior 
that you could tell us anything. And out of telling us that, instead of kicking you out or instead of, of shaming you for it, we could love you back to life. That you can take off the fig trees, the fig leaves, Adam. He wraps himself in fig leaves. Do you think it's any coincidence Jesus cursed the fig tree? You don't have to hide behind that anymore, Adam. You can come and you can deal with me in truth. Show me your weaknesses. I'm not intimidated by it. God would say to you, I've seen worse. I've seen worse. I saw Abraham's adultery. I I saw Noah's drunkenness. I saw David's murder. Like, I've seen worse. Come unto me. I'm not sitting in this season on a throne of judgment. I'm sitting this season on a throne of grace. So come and receive mercy and grace in a time of need. Come, come. All who hear him, he says, come. God said about that man, do you see, called the prophet, do you see how this man humbles himself? Go and tell him I've got him. I'm here today to say God's got you. Oh, how many of you are thankful God has got you? Amen, that's good enough. That's good enough. Let's end in worship. Worship team, you can come on up. I know uh, at, at both campuses, let's sing a little and worship. And while they're coming, you know how the story of Jonah gets in the middle? I love it. Let's go over there, in fact. Let's go over to Jonah. Let's look at this. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are going to act like you're in Jonah, but you don't know where Jonah is. And so you'll just kind of like flop it. Uh, feel free to go to the table of con- uh, concordance and look at where Jonah's at. We all understand. If it helps you at all, Jonah's on page 900 in my Bible. <laughs> Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. And let's look here in verse number 15. Well, verse 13. We'll read to verse 17. Nevertheless, it says, the men rode hard. You're rowing hard at anything. Trying to make progress. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. Trying to make progress to bring the ship to land, but they could not. Too much resistance. For the sea wrought them and was temptuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech you. They're praying. O Lord, we beseech you, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us this innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, has done as you has pleased you. So they took Jonah up. They let go of the disobedience and letting go of Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea immediately stopped her raging. When the disobedience was dealt with, immediately the situation stopped. Isn't that something? The suffering stopped. Now watch this. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Why? They think Jonah's dead. And offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. But notice this in verse 17. Now the Lord. (laughs) Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. Notice, the Lord had prepared 
the Lord had prepared. The Lord knew this all along. He knew when he would repent. He knew where he would repent. He knew how he would repent. God wasn't caught off guard about any of it. God prepared. Even in the middle of his disobedience, God's making a plan. Oh, come on, somebody. Even in the middle. Even in the middle of him making a mistake, God's already working a plan of redemption. God's working on a plan to get him back on track. God's working on a plan to get him back on track faster. He's not going to make Jonah swim. He's not going to make Jonah float. God's like, you know what? Even in your mistake, Jonah, I will be merciful and I will be gracious and I will prepare a vehicle in my mercy that gets you back to where you should be faster and with more grace because God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. And I'm telling you, if some of you will just make a decision, God, today I repent, I receive your mercy, I'm not going to receive any shame, I'm not going to receive any guilt, I'm not going to receive any inferiority, I'm not going to receive any condemnation, I'm not going to receive any of that. What I will receive, God, is your abundant grace and your amazing mercy. And I fall on the mercy of God as Jonah fell on that sea. And I'm telling you, if you do, I don't care if it's a debt. I don't care if it's something going on in your family or your finances or your health. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is kind. And he is abundantly merciful. Do you see how he humbles himself? God said about that evil king, not, none more evil. God's not impressed by your sin. He's seen worse. Why don't you just say that with me at all of our campuses? Say, he's seen worse. Oh, just remind yourself of that. He's seen worse. I don't care how ugly it is, God's seen worse. I don't care how dark it is, God's seen worse. And he's used worse. And he's blessed worse. And he's worked with worse. Because he's good. And his mercy endures forever. And what I want to encourage all of us to do at all of our campuses is just go and get the mercy of Jesus. Forgive yourself. Forgive your weaknesses. Forgive yourself for being human. (laughs) We all are. And just say, Lord, I'm not going to allow my life to let go of everything that is valuable while I'm still holding on to my disobedience. I lay it down. Could be forgiveness. Could be an offense you've been carrying off something that happened to you maybe even this week and it's been bothering you and God's been dealing with you to forgive. It could be a prayer. It could be to step out and take a step of faith like Abraham. And God's been telling you to leave what you are in and go into something that is unknown, but the sin of fear has kept you from leaving what you, should, what you know you should be letting go of. It could be you love something so much, like Abraham loved Lot. He loved that boy so much, he won't let go of what God's told him to let go of. He just loves it so much. Maybe it's a certain television show. Sometimes it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Maybe it's just too much video games. I don't know what it is. It's funny how these things work. But he loved Lot. Maybe you say, I love this, but God's been dealing with your heart to let go of Lot because as long as Lot's in your life, there will always be a strife between your herdsmen and his herdsmen. So how long will you hold on to this strife because you won't let go of Lot? 
my father wrote in his journal years ago. It's the lots in life that keep us from the big things of God. What does that mean? The things that God's asking us to let go of that we keep holding on to. It keeps us, keeps you, keeps me from the big things of God. And today what we're saying is, God, I let it go, I let it go, I let it go, I let it go, I let it go. I'm getting rid of the disobedience. I'm getting rid of the mistakes. God, I turn, I humble myself under your mighty hand. I receive your forgiveness. And God, I know you have prepared a way for me to get back to where I need to be faster than I ever could imagine. Amen. Amen. All of our campuses, Highland Colony here at Word of Life, uh, Lakeland, online even. Let's stand to our feet wherever we're at. Let's stand to our feet. I'll pray over you guys, and then Highland Colony and us can go into worship. For those of you who are online, you can stay here at the Lakeland campus and go into worship with us, but let's just pray. Father, we come before you today, and we thank you, Lord, uh, that we make a decision to humble ourselves universally, to humble ourselves globally. Father, in all of our lives, we just say, Lord, have your way. Lord, in all of our lives, we just welcome your presence and we say, have your way. Father, we thank you. You're not intimidated by any of our sins. You're not intimidated by any of our failures. You're not intimidated by any of our faults. Father, you have seen worse. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, in the matchless name of Jesus, that today you have prepared a mighty move for our family, a mighty move for our nation, a mighty move for our relationships, a mighty move in our bodies, a mighty move in our hearts, a mighty move in our life, that just like you prepared a fish for Jonah, you have prepared a mighty move for us. And Father, we make a decision today to humble ourselves and to come and fall on that mercy. And Father, we thank you that as we do, Lord, in Jesus' name, you meet us where we are at. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your amazing grace and your abundant mercy. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Why don't you just say that at all of the campus? Just say, I receive it now. I receive it now. I receive mercy. I receive grace. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. Amen, amen, amen. Why don't you just say this with me? Say, I am forgiven. God has seen worse than all of my mistakes, than all of my failures, than all of my faults combined God has seen worse, and he still has blessed, and he still has been merciful because God is good, and his mercy endures forever. Oh, amen. I said his mercy, it endures forever and ever and ever. Oh, he is good, and his mercy it endures forever. Say this with me. You need to hear yourself say it. Say it with me. Say this with me. Say, God is going to use me. Oh, why don't you say it again? Say, God is going to use me. God is going to use me. God is going to bless me. He's going to heal me. He's going to protect me. God is going to use me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. He is. He's going to use you. He's going to use you. 
You, yes, you, God's seen worse than you. He's gonna use you. Oh, God's seen worse than that. It doesn't shock him. He's not hitting Gabriel being like, can you believe? No, he's seen worse. And he's already prepared a way to get you back on track fast. Amen.